Hey, everybody. Welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast, where every Wednesday we'll bring you fast-paced, powerful 15 or so minutes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends in all things tech for the professional salon industry. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host. And today, I'm going to do another chat about artificial intelligence, give an update of sorts, and uh, yeah, just kind of share some of what I am seeing and hearing. Uh, but first, a reminder that on Sundays, you can find me hosting BeautyCast Network's Mastering Beauty podcast featuring brilliant guests sharing their best advice on building sustainable and successful careers. Got a crazy good guest lineup over there. So look for Mastering Beauty on your favorite podcast platform. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So artificial intelligence. You know, the buzz has slowed down a little bit, which I, I'm kind of glad, actually. It was, it was a little bit over the top. Um, everything from it's going to change the world in amazing ways to it will be the end of the world and the robots are coming and the robots are going to take our jobs and, and a whole lot of other stuff. And it was a lot. So I'm kind of glad it's, it's, it's kind of calmed down a little bit. Um, some of that is because um, so few people have actually used it and it's been out for a little bit. So I think the emotions have settled down. But the other thing that's fascinating is that I think a lot of folks are, are realizing, especially those who use it, that you know, there's, there's a limit as to the value of ChatGPT specifically um, for folks, depending on what they're wanting to get done in their lives. And so I think um, we are seeing a huge amount of, of work and investment by third-party companies, those who are using um, the APIs and, and, and the technology that, that is ChatGPT um, in their products. And they're not necessarily mentioning AI. So as I've said before in the podcast, you know, AI has been with us for a bit and um, we really weren't talking about it. And then OpenAI blew up, got a lot of attention with the press, went very, very viral. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and now uh, kind of calming itself down. I uh, woke up today to an article from, uh, that was about Microsoft um, that announced that um, it's teaming up with a um, digital pathology provider called Page. And they're making a massive investment to build what they're calling the world's largest image-based artificial intelligence model for identifying cancer. And if you've listened to me before, you know the two big areas of, of influence, innovation, you know, with artificial intelligence are more than likely going to be first, the medical space, and, and secondly, the education space, broadly speaking, um, whether it's elementary, you know, uh, secondary, uh, post-secondary, uh, whether it's trades, you know, whether it's more academic, uh, but the education space is more than likely predicted to be influenced in a really significant way. Um, so I think, you know, that is really fascinating. The, the, the Microsoft thing, by the way, um, it's, it's interesting. It is aggregating billions with a B of images, um, medical images, obviously. And, you know, that's a learning process for the AI. And it's going to have the ability to identify both common cancers and very rare cancers that are really, really difficult to diagnose. And researchers are hoping it'll eventually help doctors who are struggling, and this is really important, um, with staffing shortages and growing caseloads. And if you've tried to get into a doctor uh, recently, uh, most folks I talk to, it is really, really difficult, even if you're having um, serious, serious problems. So there's a real shortage of, of doctors and everybody who works in the medical profession. So, you know, the proof point around AI uh, could be really interesting uh, to follow in, in what happens with medicine. A, a lot of thought leaders are, are saying, you know, that this, our phones are going to become even more powerful for us because they're going to kind of know everything about us and the AI that could be in them will, will do things like early detection of, of various cancers and, and a whole lot of other medical issues and, and conditions. So super smart um, stuff is going on there. 
a lot of really smart people have also been talking about, I guess, using the comparison to electricity um, in the long term for um, AI. That is about the idea that um, we don't really think much about electricity because it is everywhere. It is all around us all the time. I don't know how many plugs I have on the wall right now in this room that I'm in, but it's a lot. There's a lot of electricity happening. But I don't think about that word, electricity. And again, predictions are that AI may end up being very, very similar, that it's going to be in so much of what we use every day and not really be talked about. We'll just get used to having it as part of what we do. We'll probably only notice it when it's not working, uh, kind of like we do with electricity. So you know that is um, extremely interesting. And if we think about the various smart devices, um, apps, you know, all the different things we use, social media, again, AI has been in them for some time. And then take it a step further, looking forward, you know, we have these quote unquote smart devices um, at all different levels. So my toaster is smart. Um, it's not a computer, you know, but it has some sort of chip technology in it that helps it figure out my toast. <laughs> so, but there are billions, many, many billions. I think it's like 20 billion um, of these devices that have, you know, something smart happening in and around it. And AI is going to kind of up the game on smartness in many, many of these devices um, by way of categories, but it literally could also be in the billions over time. So that's interesting and goes back to the idea of electricity. The AI may become so common in everything we do, including our work in salons, we're not even going to notice it. So much of the, the kind of fear stuff has been about um, people losing their jobs. And I, I love the quote, you know, you don't have to worry so much about AI taking your job, but, but be instead worried about someone who understands how to use AI possibly taking your job. And I think that's highly relevant and something to think about. But we're kind of predisposed as people, I think, to be afraid of robots. Um, thank you to the entertainment industry for that one. And I've talked about it in a previous uh, episode, but going back to the 1920s is when we first saw a robot in a movie, in silent films. I think it was the 20s, 20s or 30s. And um, every decade or so, there's been a new round of, of different looking acting robots, but I'd say 80, 90% of them are not very nice robots. And so, yeah, it's such a big part of the entertainment space. It makes sense that we might be a little bit afraid of them. Fast forward to today. And in Las Vegas, there's a place called the Tipsy Robot at Planet Hollywood. It's, it's a bar. I think there's two of them, if I read correctly, um, made the, made the uh, media platforms in the last few days. And interestingly, it is a place where you can go and there are robot bartenders, no people bartenders, although there is one person to kind of be there in case the robot screws something up. So again, robots are not infallible, but good reviews, um, lots of attention and, and interesting. And when you think about robots, you know, they're, they're dealing with recipes, right? And that's the kind of thing a robot could be good at. And so, uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, I talk often about the Roomba as a robot, and it is a robot or, or a form of robotics. And I, I think it's a more relevant robot um, than the Terminator. So when we think about AI and, and robots, let's think about the Roomba, which had an AI upgrade um, this, I think, earlier in the year that gave it the ability to identify and steer itself around animal excrement, otherwise known as dog or cat poop. And so, but AI solved a, a, a significant problem that the Roomba had, at least for those who had pets that were not able to hold it. <laughs> so connected to robots and AI generally is this idea that jobs will go away. And, and that's always been the case in, in technology since the beginning of time. And um, jobs do go away. There's an evolution in the workforce always. It's not always even technologically driven, but for sure, when there's big moments in, in technology, things happen. Um, in salons, if you really think hard, for those of us who've been around for a bit, 
with the innovation with cell phones. Um, a lot of jobs went away. We didn't really talk about it. But as apps became more powerful, as salons were already feeling financial pressure, some of them were cutting back on front desk personnel, you know, just making changes in a lot of areas. And um, apps had that impact. And of course, again, uh, the big conversation is that it's going to happen because of AI. I travel a lot, as, as many know, and, and um, I'm always surprised kind of post-pandemic to see how quickly jobs are going away and airports are being replaced by self-checkout and, and you know, other forms of technology. I, I don't um, know that AI is the foundation of that. I, and I think it's important to say this because there's a, a much bigger thing happening in the world economically. And that says profits are pressured and as more and more companies are owned by, by um, the public, stock uh, shareholders, if you, if you think of it that way, um, or, or private equity firms, you know, there's just such a pressure for profits that um, companies are looking to make changes anywhere they can to increase the bottom line, which, which makes sense. And labor is often one of the bigger expenses. So there's always this pressure to reduce the workforce. I think something really important to remember is that it's not because of AI or technology per se, um, it's because somebody's making a decision to cut the workforce. And yes, they're taking advantage of, of these other tools. So I think that's interesting. More on the AI front would be driverless cars. They're actually happening in San Francisco. Waymo One, W-A-Y-M-O One um, in San Francisco. They've got driverless cars and they're all over the city and they're safe. Um, they drive slower than the Ubers I, from what I've read and, and seen um, because of safety concerns. And they're still learning. It's a, it's a big experiment, but but not just a handful of cars, you know, roaming around. There are a lot of cars. Um, and also in Phoenix, you can get a, you can get a, I can't remember the name of the company in Phoenix, but in Phoenix at the airport, you can order a, a driverless car. So, that, so that's interesting. All right. So let's dig into salons a little bit and, and, and what all this can mean. So again, I, I think it's important to say that, you know, AI is potentially a tool. It doesn't need to be a replacement for things that we're doing. I mean, that's a choice, a, a choice of ownership, a choice of management, a, an individual choice as to what we do, just like the tools that we use behind the chair. Um, some people are a little bit old school and, and they're, they're very limited in, in the scissors they use or the number of scissors. And then, then, you know, I have my friends that have got, you know, six pairs of, of scissors on their belt and, and they're using them. That's a choice. You know, there's those of us who like to cook. And some are a little bit more old school and they like to chop everything up by hand and, you know, kind of enjoy, um, I kind of enjoy the Zen of, of doing that. Um, I have other friends that use uh, food processors and blenders and, and, and that form of technology. So, so these are, are very much choices. And of course, as things begin to scale, like social media, uh, you know, having been enamored with it and, and promoting it and evangelizing for it within the professional industry for over 10 years, you know, I remember when it felt very much like a choice and I was encourage, encouraging folks to choose it because it was going to be um, revolutionary for the salon industry, in, in, at least my early thoughts about it. We've reached a point now where it, for many, it doesn't feel like it's a choice. It's, it, it's a must do it because of the competitive nature of the industry and because of the value of social for many as a marketing tool. AI might be similar. You know, we'll see early adoption. A lot of, you know, folks will be playing with it, experimenting with it. It may take 10 or 20 years before it really becomes something that just is in salons. Um, now, having said that, there's already a lot of AI in salons, and most of us are not aware of it. If you were to um, Google um, professional salons and AI, you know, you'll 
come up with some uh, companies that are well-known in, in our industry that are using AI. And um, mostly it's, it is a, the software and booking platforms. So MindBody is one of the first ones that comes up and um, they, and, and some of the others that we all know, know well, um, they use a, um, an AI, kind of a chatbot feature um, called Presence AI. And so it is a third-party um, solution that MindBody, as, as an example of, of several, um, is putting into their software, the, the, the services that they provide to salons and spa. And, and this is a um, predominantly a way to communicate with clients as a chatbot, but also texting. It, it's it's, it's, it's um, kind of a chatbot texting opportunity for salons where you can communicate. And again, because it's AI, it can learn um, the tone of the salon from a brand perspective. It can be conversational and and if you are active on a lot of, whether it's travel platforms or tech platforms and you're playing with chatbots, um, you can see that sometimes you can't really tell the chatbot, you know, from a person. So I think, you know, that is um, really, really, you know, fascinating. And of course, you know, um, well, not of course, I, I'm going to jump to the front desk. Um, again, we've had these, in my opinion, strange conversations about the front desk or some coaches, you know, claiming they've got some big idea that, oh, the front desk is going away. The front desk, you know, as we know, it's been going away for at least 10 years for many. Um, having said that, um, the front desk for others um, can be really, really powerful. And so this idea that the front desk needs to go away is, is generalizing that is, 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 I would say, downright silly. Um, it, it really becomes a choice based on the needs of the business and, and the, the size of the business and, and what happens, you know, um, with a desk and without a desk. And I don't mean the physical desk, but most importantly are the things that get achieved by this thing we call the desk. Because when you get rid of it, because let's, let's say you have really analyzed it and, and financially it doesn't seem viable to you. And so you're making a decision perhaps not to improve the function of the desk, because that's what some do, really focus on it and, and drive more revenue through it so they can justify it. And they, they actually grow their profits because your front desk should grow your profits, not take away from your profits. And I know so many salons that can say that with great confidence that the desk absolutely is growing their profits. I was just at um, Camp Paul Mitchell and um, a young uh, salon owner, um, Orlando Rodriguez, has a big presence on social, has a, um, is the owner of a salon, I believe it's 35 staff members and, and has a big front desk uh, crew. Um, and he spoke really passionately about how important they are and, and, and the role that they play in supporting his entire team, number one, the role they play in supporting their customers, number two, and then how he connects the dots amongst all of that to make sure that the front desk is very aware of driving um, retail recommendations and sales is, is driving rebooking, you know, is, is driving effective um, um, booking processes. So people are, you know, the timing is right and freeing those who work behind the chair um, to do what they do so well and not have to worry about some of these things. Um, if they chose not to have front desk um, staff, then of course the opposite would hold true. And to me, it's analogous to um, making a decision and this will sound weird, but it is an analogy uh, to, to, to make a point um, that you decide that, you know, you can't afford to have somebody wash your windows anymore. And so you, as somebody who works behind the chair and perhaps owns your business, says, okay, I'm going to do that. And then the question is, well, what do you give up? You know, do you um, work more hours to get that done? And then what does that mean? You know, is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it, is it purely financial? Um, does it make you 
perhaps more tired and wore out than you already are? Does it cut into your family time? Does it, you know, does it push past boundaries you'd like to establish? You know, so there's a lot of things to consider. You know, I, I would always say to anybody who's thinking about that to say, hmm, take a big step back and say, well, what do I have to do in my business to drive more revenue so I can afford to have somebody do what I'm not great at, which is washing my windows in this example. Same with the desk, depending on your team. If you've got a team that is great at rebooking clients, great at pushing for word of mouth, great at self-promoting and self-marketing, um, great at customer service, or greeting people when they come in, even if they're busy and, and you know, helping them leave the salon in an appropriate way, hopefully with some products you know, in tow. You know, if, if, um, if you're great at that, fantastic. You, know, you, may wanna, you may not need the help of someone to do that. Um, if you're not so good at it, again, you may want to think about, well, what do I have to do or, or what can I do with changing this up, taking it off my plate, putting it on somebody else's, it will drive revenue. So A, I can pay for it, but really, really importantly, that I will profit from it. And again, there are just way too many examples of salons around the country that are making this happen. Something else to consider about it, about technology and, and how it can engage with clients and, and also whether you have a desk or not or how you deal with people. You know, there's been all kinds of studies done that show that if someone calls for a first time appointment and they can't get through, they just can't get anybody to return the call, they don't have a way to leave a message perhaps, um, they're told to go to a booking platform, but you have to register for the booking platform and that's all complicated, that very often those clients, prospective clients, they just call somebody else. And that is a lost opportunity for business. And so we have to think about that. Are the platforms we're using, are the apps, are the services, are, are we as human beings, are, are we leaving money on the table by not being available when prospective clients want us to be available or need us to be available? So, you know, I think that is really, really important um, to consider. Booking platforms, of course, are being enhanced by AI, and that will only get more and more interesting over time. Websites, which is kind of a pet peeve, there's so many bad websites in our industry. I hate to say that. There's so many bad websites generally. And there, there's a tendency to build a website, you know, and just kind of do it and, and leave it and, and let it be. And, and maybe update it if your prices change. Some don't even do that. Um, websites to me are like your front windows. It's a way for me to kind of get a look at your salon in, in whatever way you want to present it to me. But, you know, I get the vibe, I get the feeling. And I would hope you wouldn't leave your, your windows looking the same for 10 years, five years, even two years, maybe, maybe even a year. You change them up, you know, so you're interesting. And people want, who are walking by all the time have a reason to stop and look and, and perhaps come in. Website's very similar. You know, I, I, you want to keep your website current. You want to update it. And website builders with AI and where that is headed, it's, it's insane. You know, it's, it's, we're going to be to the point very quickly and, and are already there through some platforms where you don't need any expertise to build a really great website. And so, you know, that is going to be really, really um, interesting, you know, as we go forward. Big, big picture, you know, um, education, I think is going to be transformed. I've talked about that before, but I think especially for schools, things like state board prep and state board kind of tutoring and coaching. We know a lot of people have test anxiety in our industry. And, and so, you know, how can AI help these um, students, um, in ways that we weren't able to in the past. And these things are being proved out in other industries, especially in the more traditional education space. And so there's just a lot of signs and signals that it's coming. I, I know companies like PivotPoint and Milady are certainly deep in the weeds trying to sort all that out. But I, I would predict within five years that um, AI is going to play a significant role in, in number one, beauty school education, 
Um, and not taking the place of teachers or necessarily being in the classroom, but helping students to study and to study and learn. And because that's an important thing that students should be doing. Another thing I think that is going to be really interesting is consultations. I've talked about this before, you know, outside of, of hairdressing and looking at other parts of the beauty industry, makeup as a really great example. There are, um, and, and skin generally too, um, there are these like makeover apps now that are quite good and they're coming our direction. The hair ones haven't been great, but, but, but again, looking at what I can do, what its potential is and what folks are talking about, I think the self-consultation, the sitting on the couch, you know, and, and going, hmm, what do I want to do with my hair? And perhaps I haven't gotten any great recommendations for whatever reason from the salons I go to or the hairdressers I've been to. So I'm going to, I heard about this app and, and let's just say it's an app that's really been developed fully and, and can give me a real sense of what I look like with something different on my head, you know, whether it's a style, whether it's a cut, whether it's a color. That could be transformative because that's back to that old, old, old school idea. Many of you won't remember this, but when people would tear pictures out of magazines and bring them in, well, it'd be great to tear out a picture of yourself from a magazine with that perfect haircut on it to bring into a salon. So I, I think that's absolutely coming. Color formulations, I mentioned before, it goes back to the bark tender, you know, recipes. Now, a creative colorist, of course, is going to, you know, have a, a very different um, take on, not on formulation, but on perhaps what they're going to do. And, and that is the difference between good and great. And I think it's the good and not so good are going to benefit potentially from AI. Um, but color formulations, which the industry is not great at, I think anybody who really knows color and knows what's happening big picture in the industry will, will say that, or at least think that if they don't want to say it out loud, um, is a problem. And, and there is, I, I know color folks in the industry are talking a lot about this and, and looking as to how this could potentially transform how we do hair color, how we think about hair color. And again, as a tool, as a Think of it this way. You are a great colorist, but you have this app that has the ability to, to, to give you a formulation. It, it's like anything else. It's like, hmm, do I do it this way or do I do it that way? You know, you can come up with your formulation, your, apply your creative genius, you know, which so many have. But you may say, hmm, I wonder if there's a different way to do it. And you use an app to, to get you there. And then you compare the two and, and make your decision, your decision, you know, as the artist. That's fascinating. Uh, marketing, of course, you know, AI, there's so much talk about it. Business analysis and business education. I think, you know, again, tutorials. We know that business um, um, is a challenge in the industry, um, understanding all the things we need to understand to run a small business. Again, we're, we're busy doing everything. So sometimes this isn't easy. Not everybody has great access to it. So to have business-minded tutorials that are focused on beauty that comes from either the education company or some of the brands, that is absolutely coming. I, I just can't imagine that it would not be. And then also really importantly is business analysis. I mean, we talk so much about the reports and things that can get generated. And I've talked to so many hairdressers who are using point of um, service platforms, you know, um, software programs that track all kinds of things, but then they find the reports to be very dense and not friendly. And so they don't really utilize them because they're just, they just don't fit their mind view and they don't fit how they think. And you know, that's really not their problem. It really should be the companies that are turning this on its head. And I believe that AI is absolutely going to do that. And there's, again, there's a lot of proof points already out there that AI is growing in its ability to analyze financials, understand the market that you work in, all the way down into the weeds of your local market and your competitors, and, and really be able to be almost a, a consultative tool to you to help you understand, you know, what is actually happening. Kind of swinging back to, um, where I started, robots. 
I just read about two robots, one in the manicure space, one in the eyelash space, and fascinating. Um, and, and I'm going to give you the names of them so you can Google them. But um, eyelash extensions, there's a lot of chatter about robotics in that space. Um, Lumlash is the one I saw the video on just yesterday, L-U-U-M-L-A-S-H. Google it, take a look at the video. Fascinating. I'm not endorsing it. I don't know near enough about it. I know nothing about it except the video I saw, but I was like, ooh, this is really fascinating. And think about it. This is really, really detailed work, you know, being done by hand. Not easy, rough on the eyes, I'm sure rough on the mind. And so, you know, a pain point for human beings that perhaps some is going to be solved. Um, Manicures, um, there's a company called Clockwork, and they're doing these kind of mini services, 10-minute manicures. They're in four targets already. Interesting, at least according to the article I read. Um, Don't know which targets, but four targets as kind of the beginning of a potential rollout. Of course, they'll test and see if their customers like it. But again, quick service. In an interview, the owner, you know, was asked, you know, what was the effect going to be on nail techs? And, you know, and she said, you know, it's kind of like restaurants versus vending machines. Do we think that vending machines have harmed the restaurant industry? It it was an interesting analogy. I don't don't know if it was, you know, just um, a way to respond, you know, kind of positively or or some reality in that, but kind of makes sense. You know, quick service in a target is very different than someone who wants the experience of going to a nail tech. So I was, you know, really uh, fascinated by that one. And then, um, yeah, Nimble Beauty is the name of a, a, of a company in the nail space that's doing a more sophisticated, um, longer manicure service that, that is also robotics. So lastly, um, ChatGPT. If you've not used it, I really recommend you, you go play with it. You know, it's, um, it's interesting. Um, when you get to it, you know, you want to go to chat, uh, you want to go to open AI and then click on the chat GPT and you'll be looking at a screen that looks kind of like Google. There's a, a bar in the middle where you can type things in the instructions of what you would like it to do. But down the bottom, they give you some examples. There's like four blocks and it'll say things like, you know, um, give me, you know, um, ideas on, trends in fashion um, to think about as I get ready to go take my trip to Paris, whatever. It'll have four different blocks, four different ideas. They're very broad, very general. But if you look at them and think, okay, take that same idea and kind of beautify it, you know, what would four hair trends be of, of interest, you know, um, that are happening right now in Paris? Actually, they, they don't do right now. Um, it'll be a couple of years old. But still, it gives you an idea of the power because we're still kind of in the early stages of, of AI in many ways, even though it's been around. And um, there's a big question about how much information is going to get stuffed into the brain of AI. It's a, it's a very different conversation. But if you play with it, I don't, I don't know anybody who has played with it who isn't fascinated by what it can do. And I think if you play with it a little bit, um, you might be surprised of, of how it could benefit you, A, in your personal life. I use it for all kinds of things personally, everything from how to cook, you know, to how to find different things um, on my day off, you know, something I want to go look at. So there's really good stuff there. And then from a business perspective, oh my gosh, if I'm doing a presentation, I start with ChatGPT and, and tell it what I'm going to be presenting, tell it how many minutes I have, what the format is, who are the audience, what kind of people are there and say, give me, give me some ideas on this topic. And they're always pretty darn phenomenal, usually 80% of, of what I would like to do. So um, lastly, lastly, um, I'm a quote fiend, as many know. My favorite quote is, change the way you look at things, and the things you look at change. And so I would end by saying, change the way you think of AI, from killer robots and the end of the world, to game-changing career and business tools, and AI will change for you. 
All right, so I am out of time. I'm gonna wrap up here and say, if you like what you heard today, I encourage you to visit socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for my free newsletter. And um, you'll get more content every Monday. I give you my recommendations, things I find out in the larger world outside of beauty that I think will be interesting to folks. Um, it's got it every week. The list is growing. Um, I appreciate it so much. And we have, I have a really high open rate. It's over 80%. And that just holds so steady. So I'm really proud of that. So check out my newsletter. Um, also a reminder, check out my BeautyCast Network podcast, Mastering Beauty. Um, every Sunday, amazing guests. And um, yeah. That's it. It was a fun conversation. I thank you so much as always for listening in. I am so, so appreciative. I never take my audience for granted. So thank you for that. And once again, I am Gordon Miller, and I cannot wait to share more with you again next time.